pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I'm so thankful, God, for just the time we had of, Lord, of worship, God, of just being able to come before you, Lord, of singing songs of praise to you, Lord. There is power in your name, God. There is power in your name, Father. We're so thankful, God, that we can claim to know you, God, because, Lord, we know that the only way that's possible is through your son that you sent for us. And so, God, I pray now, Tonight, Lord, as we dig in, Father, for those of us that are here, for those that are watching online, Lord, for those that are listening later, I pray, God, that you, Lord, would open our ears spiritually. Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, Lord, prepare the soil of our hearts for what you want to speak to us, God. Because, God, we know there's not one jot or tittle in your word, Lord, that was not put there for very good reason. And so, God, as we dig in, as we look at it, Father, would you just open us up, Lord, to what you want to speak to us, Lord, tonight? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you guys, in chapter 14, you guys remember we are looking through this period, through these cha couple chapters that we've been looking through, that where God's basically dropping the hammer. He's saying to the people of Israel through Ezekiel, hey, I have given you chance after chance after chance, and here it comes. Right? Like the thing that I've been not wanting to do, that I've been holding back on, I'm going to do. Why? Because I love you. Right? He's not dropping the hammer because he wants to. He's not dropping the hammer because he's trying to throw a tantrum. Right? Did you guys ever get spanked as a kid? I know that's not cool anymore, but I definitely did. Right? My parents were like, man, they wore my butt out. Right? For good reason. <laughs> so the fact is, though, is that why did my parents do that? Because they loved me right? They didn't just beat my butt because they wanted to, right? That requires a ton of energy. And when you have a blind mom, you got to aim your butt towards the paddle because it, it hits anywhere from the middle of your knee to the middle of your back, right? And so my, man, my mom, she didn't want to waste the energy on that, but she did it because she loved me. As a kid, do you feel that way? No. You're like, man, my parents, they're just so mean, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, all I did was break my brother's face with my fist and then they spanked me for it. <laughs> I don't get it, right? But this stuff, why am I saying all this? Because guys, our real parents love us enough to, to do whatever is necessary, right? To ground us, to, to put us in time out, to do whatever they have to do to kind of get our attention. How much more does God love us? And God loves his people so much here, you guys, that yes, there's some really crazy things coming. But can I tell you, the punishment fits the crime right? And that's what we're looking at here. And so last week, we looked a lot at this idea of the false prophets and how he was coming against these false prophets. And this week, you guys, he's going to be looking at the elders, those people that everyone looked to spiritually. And he's going to be looking basically a little bit more at the false prophets, but more really just at the people in general, each individual person. And he's going to call out their garbage. And so let's dig in. Verse 1 in chapter 14 says this. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me, right, Ezekiel, and set before me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? That's right. 
Therefore, speak to them and say to them, thus says the Lord God, everyone of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent, turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. So the elders here, right? All the people that everyone that's exiled right now looks to and says, man, you're our guide. You're the ones that should have this figured out. They come before Ezekiel. This is very much what the elders of Israel would do. This is what the the kings of Israel will do. We'll look at that in a little bit, at a situation where that happened. They would go to the prophet, the man of God, to hear what God had to say. That was a very common practice. Here's the problem, you guys. They're in exile. Why? Because of sin. They're in exile because they were not listening. They were not doing the right thing this whole time. So here they are in exile realizing, oh man, we're being punished. And so they do what comes naturally to them. They go to the prophet, to the man of God. And they come and they say, hey, tell us something. What were they, what were they there to ask? We don't know. We're not told. A lot of scholars believe that they were probably there to find out from Ezekiel, like, hey, Zeke, how long are we going to be stuck here, man? How long is this going to go on? Can you, can you ask God and tell us like how long all this is going to go? Because, you know, this kind of stinks and we don't want to be here. That might have been what they were coming to ask. We can kind of glean by God's answer that what they were asking had nothing to do with what God wanted to tell them, but it was what they wanted to hear. You guys, can you get that from that? So here they were. They wanted to know what they wanted to know. They wanted to find out how long the suffering was going on, maybe. They wanted to know, man, you know, like, what's going on? Have you guys ever talked to, for those of you that have kids here, have you ever talked to your kid and you're like, do you know what you did? And basically, at the end of the discussion, you realize your kids are basically just wanting to know, how long am I grounded for? I don't really care what you have to say. Are you getting through to them at that point? No! And so when my kids did that, I'm like, you're grounded forever! (laughs) Until you figure it out, slam, (laughs) right? And you walk away from it and then come back a couple hours later and like, do you get it yet? And if they didn't, which some, my son, woo, he's stubborn, just like me, right? And so I would be like, nope, you're still, we're not gonna talk about that until you realize what you're doing. Until you get ahead, get your head around the idea that you've done something wrong here. And that's what God is doing here. He's saying, you're coming and asking your question But I know your heart. You've got all these idols set up before you. You've got all this junk that you're totally into. And so you're coming to me because that's the practice, but you're not doing it with the right heart. You still have all these idols. You still have all this stuff that you have in your heart, but you're coming to me and saying, God, where are you? When is this over? And he's like, I'm not in. No, we're not going to deal with that. Not until you deal with this. Do you get it? Like, that's what he's saying. And so here he is. He knew their hearts. He knew they had idols. They came to hear from the holy man how long they were going to be punished. And God told Ezekiel, hey, don't tell them anything. Answer them according to their idols. In other words, look, 
They didn't want to stop serving their idols. They didn't want to stop living in sin. And so God told them, tell them to repent. Tell them to repent and turn to me and basically ignore their question. God wasn't going to talk to them about all that stuff until they were ready to deal with their sin. And you guys, nothing has changed, has it? Nothing has changed. Today is the same as then, isn't it? Listen, as a pastor, I have a lot of people that have come up to me and they'll be like, man, you know, I don't know how I got here and can we, can you pray for me? Can we pray together? Because I, man, I've got this thing going on and this stuff's happening in my life. And I'm like, it doesn't take a genius to look at their life and be like, well, yeah, you kind of brought yourself here, right? Like you, you, you got yourself here because you did A, B, and C. And they're like, and, and I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll be like, man, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just hazarding a guess here. <laughs> But did this cause that maybe? And that's why you're here. And so like, let's, let's talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. That's not the point. Why am I here? I want to know from God what's going on. And it's like, we, we can't talk about that. We can't pray about that. I mean, we can, but it's a worthless prayer because we got to deal with this or you're going to end right back up here again. Right? If you're shooting heroin and you're wondering why you've got an infection in your veins, Let's deal with the heroin addiction addiction, because if we don't deal with that, you're going to end up right back where you were. And God can heal you from that. And so, yes, I pray with them. I'm not acting like I don't pray with them. But in my mind, I'm like, dude, we've got to deal with the core of the issue here. People need to go back and realize. And so I'm going to ask us when we come to God and we're like, God, why am I here? Listen, it doesn't mean God doesn't did. What did Job do to get there? Nothing. So I'm not acting like each and every time it's our fault. I'm saying it's a good question to ask ourselves. Lord, is there something I've done? Lord, did I have a part to play in this? Lord, what, what, what's happening in my own heart here that now here I am and I, yeah, I don't wanna be here, but God, what, what got me here? How did that work, right? And that answer isn't always some bad thing. Sometimes just bad things happen to good people. It happens. So I'm not, please understand, I'm not blanketing a statement here. I'm trying to say, you, personally, don't be afraid to ask that question of God. That's what he was wanting them to do. Say, hey, God, why am I in Babylon right now and not back home? God, what, what got us here? How did that happen? Those are good questions. Those are questions that if they came to Ezekiel, I guarantee Ezekiel would answer. Why? Because that's what God told him. Here's your answer. Repent. I'm telling you, you screwed up. I'm telling you, you need to deal with some stuff. They didn't want to hear that. Can I say this? We need to refuse, like last week that we talked about, we as Christians, brothers and sisters here, you guys, we need to refuse to be like the false prophets. What were the false prophets doing? They were filling their head with platitudes. Oh, everything's good. You're, you're, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Those idols, God doesn't really care. You're good. We need to be careful that we don't do that. We need to be careful that we don't fill the air with our silence, thinking that that's being gracious and kind when God's saying, no, it's clear there's a problem here and you need to address it with your friend, with your brother or your sister in the Lord, right? We need to be careful of that stuff. And then the worst thing I think that we need to really be careful of is this, that we fill their head with our thoughts, I have a lot of opinions, you guys. I hope you never hear them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and when I do, and I have said this to a few people, but I, I, I really try my best to just be very clear. Like, I, nothing comes to mind. 
spiritually. Nothing comes to mind directly from God's word, but I do see this principle. And so here's a thought, but I make it clear like that's a thought. Take it or leave it. That's not the important part. Now, if I read your scripture, well, you better take it. If you're a Christian, I hope you do. It's still your choice to take it or leave it, but you get my point? So man, we don't fill the air with our thoughts or our platitudes or even our silence sometimes. Think about this. And I want us to kind of just process this thought. In the church today, you guys realize that premarital sex is just as prevalent today in the church as it is out in the world. How often do we hear people actually pulling a brother or a sister aside and being like, you need to stop? How often does that happen? I don't know. I hope it happens. When I hear about it, I definitely am like, oh, that's not right. Shouldn't be doing that. You, you get my point? That's not a time to remain silent. And it doesn't mean you share it with everybody. You pull a person aside, right? You do it biblically. But the point I'm making is there's plenty of things today in today's world that we are not fulfilling this. We're not doing it, you guys. How many churches just teach that being homosexual is perfectly fine when clearly in the Bible it says it's not? Does it mean we hate them? No, not at all. We love them. We love them enough to tell the truth. We love them enough to be like, hey, I've got sin too. We're all sinful people. I'm not better than you. I'm not different than you. I'm just as sinful as you are, but it's a sin. And so we need to deal with that. We need to pray through that. We need to look at that. That's the most loving thing we can do. Not saying it's all good and God doesn't care. That's what the false prophets were doing. You guys, it's happening today. It's just as prevalent today. And can I say this? Speaking God's truth is always much harder than any of the other things I brought up. Speaking God's truth is much harder than silence, isn't it? Speaking God's truth is much harder, honestly, than just saying some platitude. Oh, you're good. God loves you. Speaking God's truth is also much harder than your own thoughts because your thoughts are yours and you've got to come up with them. God's truth is God's truth. It's there. And when the Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart, that's there for a reason. Give it. You guys, can I say this? All of that. Yes, God's truth is harder, but God's word and truth is always the most beneficial. It's always the most beneficial. It's what people need to hear. And that's what God was telling Ezekiel. Tell these people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. Verse seven. It says, for anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me and sets up his idols in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself. I will set my face against the man and make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet and I will stretch out my hand against him and destroy him from among the, my people, Israel. And they shall bear their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be the same as the punishment of the one who inquired that the house of Israel may no longer stray from me nor be profaned anymore with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, says the Lord God. What's he saying here? God, again, is drawing a very clear line in the sand. He's like, hey, if you continue to choose to walk in your idolatry, if you continue to just walk in your sin and you don't choose to repent, you're gonna be cut off. And then he come, we come across this, 
This hard to understand verse, verse nine. Did you guys hear that? And if the prophet is induced to speak anything, I, the Lord, have induced that prophet. What does this mean? Well, guys, in the context of the, in the, context of the passage, he's speaking to the false prophets. Do you guys get that? He's not talking about Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah. He's not talking about the people that were faithfully speaking his word to other people. Remember last week we looked, he said, you're just making stuff in your own heart and saying it. It doesn't even mean anything. It's not even true. It's not even real. You're just making it up on your own. And so here he is saying to them, he's like, listen, if you continue to do this and people come to you, false prophet, and you just speak platitudes that aren't even true, you're going to have a punishment just the same as they do. Right? Like you say you're speaking in my name, but you're not. We see that God was saying here, hey, if you're speaking, I am allowing it. I'm allowing it. He was, you can say that God was basically saying, and when you read it in the Hebrew, it's basically like God saying, I'm inducing a false answer. I'm giving you what you want to hear because you don't want to hear what I want to say. That's what he's doing. And you guys, doesn't it sound crazy? It's a little different. But there's a theologian, Dr. Daniel Block, that says this about this passage, and I loved it. He says, Yahweh answers insincerity with insincerity. Unrepentant kings and unrepentant people who seek confirmation of their perverse ways and who clamor for reassurances of well-being do not deserve a straight answer. I think it's a pretty telling statement. That's a scary place to be when you've gotten to the point where God's like, that's what you want to hear? Sure. That's a scary place to be. I don't want to be there. I don't want us to be there. I want us to have humbled hearts that are like, man, Lord, I do want to hear what you have to say, even if it's hard. That's a better place to be. You guys, we see this happening throughout scripture. God, we know his word says, uses all things for good, right? All of it, all of it is for good. So even this stuff here, he was using for good. What was the good? We read it. We read the fact that, listen, the good was this, is when the false prophets go away. And when these people that are inquiring go away, what's left? People that look around and they're like, that was obviously wrong. And what I'm doing is wrong. And there's a repentant heart that comes out of that. That was the good. How do we get there? Through a lot of pain and heartache. Did God want to do it that way? Not at all. That's never his goal. His never, listen, the entire period of tribulation that we're going to have on this earth is not because he just wants to. It's because he loves people enough to say, if this is what it takes to get who's coming into the kingdom, then I'm going to do it. It's a love. And we can't get our head around that. We can't get our head around that, can we? It's hard. Let's read 1 Kings. Flip over with me. 1 Kings chapter 22. You guys remember when Ahab, King Ahab, right? Mean, evil King Ahab. Well, Jehoshaphat, the king of the other kingdom, comes down and he's like talking to Ahab. And Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, like, hey, will you do me a favor? The Syrians are here in our area and I want to kick them out, but I can't do it on my own. So will you help me? You guys remember this story? And so he comes in and Jehoshaphat, right? They bring all these like 400 prophets Ahab brings in and they're all false prophets. And so they're like, do it. God is with you. Yeah. Right? Rah, rah, shish, boom, bah, right? It's like, yeah, let's do this. Woo. And Jehoshaphat kind of catches the vibe that it's like, this, that is not legit, right? This is my Cliff's Notes version, right? And so he's like, hey, you know, is there still not a prophet from the Lord? 
right there in verse 7 in chapter 22. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Think about that. 400 prophets just came in and said, yeah, you're good to go. And Jehoshaphat in his spirit was like, no, that's not legit. And so then Jehoshaphat asked that question and Ahab says this, there is still one man, this is verse eight, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, who, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Well, that's because you are evil, Ahab, you idiot, right? <laughs> but the truth is, is that here's Ahab and here's all this stuff happening. And Jehoshaphat's like, man, go get this guy. And so this guy goes, this messenger goes and grabs right? Micaiah. And he says to Micaiah, basically, he's like, hey man, we've already had 400 prophets that came in and told him it was good. So can you just go in and give him a good answer? Can you just do that for me? Because you never do that. You always come in and say something hard and nobody wants to hear it. And so can you just please, right? And Micaiah's like, I'm going to say what the Lord tells me to say. But then here's the part I want you to catch. We're still not on the screen. So listen, Verse 15 says this, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? Listen to his answer, his initial answer. And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, because he must have said it with snark, right? That's kind of the vibe I'm catching here that he's like, sure, yep, go ahead. You don't want to hear what I have to say. So there you go, go, Right? So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Isn't that interesting? If I were one of the other 400 prophets, I would either recognize that King Ahab realizes that we're all full of hot air, or I would be offended. Because it's obvious that, man, this one guy comes in and says something good, and he's like, ah, wait a minute. And isn't that how it is? Isn't it how it is? Even with people in the world, when you speak a hard truth, there's a lot of times, at least what I've found, is that they, they kind of want to hear it. They want the real truth. Even if they don't like it, there's still something in them that they like. They know, and that's why they came to you, is because they know you're going to tell them the truth. There's something to be said for that. And so here, Ahab, this evil king, could recognize Micaiah. Dude, you're just blowing smoke right now. You're just blowing smoke. But why was he doing that? Because he knew, God knew, he didn't want to hear it anyway. Well, let's just keep reading. And now it's up on the thing. Verse 19. Then Micaiah said, therefore, here, the, in other words, he's like, Ahab's like, are you telling me the truth? He's like, okay, you want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. No, you really want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. Here's the truth. Verse 19. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead, that he may die? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Who are these? There's demons. It's demonic, right? We know that Jesus or God still has absolute authority. He's not out of authority. We read in the book of Revelation that Satan goes up all the time accusing the brethren. He's there. There is this thing, this idea, even now, that God is using everything for good, even demonic forces. Crazy, right? So then it says this, 21, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. 
And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. And then one of the prophets after this, just so we can finish out the story real quick, comes over and punches Micaiah in the face. And he's like, did the spirit tell me which way to punch you? Right? And Ahab's like, I don't like you. And I wish you wouldn't have said all that garbage. And so throw him in jail. And then he said, don't bring him out until I come back safely. And Micaiah says, if you come back safely, I didn't hear from the Lord. And so then I should just die anyway. He said, if you come back, I heard wrong. And then Ahab goes and dies. You get it? This is God doing this very thing, saying like, you don't want to hear what I have to say. And even when I tell you what I, what I have to say, you don't listen. What about this, you guys? Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 12, flip over there with me. We just read this a few weeks ago. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. This is Jesus talking about what an unclean spirit does after it's left the body of the person it was possessing. Chapter 12, verse 43 says this. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will, re I will return to my house from which I came. He calls us, they call us houses from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. I'm gonna read that again. He finds it empty. That's the key word here, empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you guys, he's saying you need to fill in you with the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Through Jesus. That's what he's saying. We need to have a relationship with God. That's what, that when the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are no longer capable. A demon comes back and finds the place occupied. Do you get it? That's what he's saying here. And it's the same thing God's saying to these people. He's like, you have such hearts of iniquity. You have so many idols stuffed into your body. You're, you've got them in your heart. That's what matters more to you than following me. I'm telling you to repent, and yet you're not. You're full of all this garbage. And I can't come in and take up residence with you because you don't want me to. And so he's saying, repent, get rid of that stuff. This guy here, when the, when the guy went away, and you guys, this is where the platitudes and the silence gets us in the church. If there's people here that aren't believers and they're coming to church to get right or they're coming to church to be better and that's all they think church is about, they're empty. And so when that temptation comes around to shoot heroin again, they're gonna shoot heroin. When that temptation comes around to go sleep around, they're gonna go do it. And you guys know, because we're all sinners, it's hard enough as it is, even with the Holy Spirit in us, isn't it? Without the Holy Spirit, you're, you're doomed. For eternity, and I would say here on earth, it's hard. You're making life a lot harder on yourself. And we as a church, you guys, if we're not sharing the truth, like Ezekiel was sharing the truth, if we're not here being prophets of the Lord, being iron sharpening iron, being those people that are like, no, God's word says this. You need Jesus. That's what you need. You don't need the best self-help self -help book that you can find. You don't even need this church. What you need is Jesus and coming to church help you get there, right? 
and come in the church, put you around brothers and sisters that are there to help you and pull you along and say, hey, come on, come up out of that miry pit that you put yourself in again, right? That's what church is about. Church is important, but church doesn't save you. Jesus does. So here's God. He was going to deal with these false prophets and all their false assurance. They're going to suffer the same fate. And you guys, we know this. Salvation only comes through death, right? Mm -hmm. Salvation comes through death. The death of Christ is our only way to a salvation. How do we get there? We admit that we're sinners. We admit that he died on the cross and we accept his gift. That's, it took a death to, for us to have salvation. But you guys realize this? We as Christians are also supposed to be dying. We're supposed to be dead men and women walking, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the zombie apocalypse. We kill our old man. We take him out, stab him in the head, right? We just say, Lord, like, put that, put that zombie down. And it's a zombie, so it keeps getting back up. And every morning is a new morning, and we're like, oh, Lord, help me today because I need you because I'm being chased. I'm being chased like a shadow by my old self. Or am I the only one, right? We're all, we're all messed up. We're all growing in the Lord. We're all just doing our best to walk with him. But you guys, it requires a death. And that is what he's saying here. He's like, you want to find me? You want answers? Die to yourself. Die to the garbage that you put up in your heart and come and repent and follow me. That's all it ever requires. And it's the best way to go. We can't tell people they're okay if they're not okay. We can't. Verse 12. Oh, I'm in Matthew. Hold on. Go back to Ezekiel with me. That helps. I'm like, that don't make sense. <laughs> Verse 12 in Ezekiel 14. The word of the Lord came again to me saying, son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. Only they would be delivered, and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword on the land and say, sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only they themselves would be delivered. Or if I send a pestilence into the land and pour out my fury on it in blood and cut from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword, the famine, and wild beasts, and pestilence to cut off man and beast from it. How much more shall it be? God is making a point here. And I want to clear this up before we go any further. I want you to notice right in the very beginning in verse 12, 
What is he cutting them off for? For persistent unfaithfulness. Persistent. Persistent. That word in the Hebrew means this. Persistent. (laughs) Right? It means like it's constant. Right? It's not never ending. But in the moment, you're not going to stop it. That's the idea of persistent. Right? A child can persistently be like, mom, 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 mom. Mom, 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 right? And you're like, what? (laughs) Right? Or actually, no, you're a mom. So you're like, what, honey? Right? The dads are like, what? But the point I'm making is that persistence isn't never ending. They're just waiting on an answer. Well, this persistent unfaithfulness, God is answering. Do you understand? He's answering it. But it's persistent up to that point. And it's persistent unfaithfulness. This is not a one-time sin. And I need us to understand that. God doesn't drop the hammer on us after one sin. Praise the Lord, right? And can I say something? God is super long-suffering, and he sent his son. And so under where we live, we have Jesus, and all of the hammer was dropped on him. Our sins are paid for. But it doesn't mean that if we persistently just walk in sin, that God isn't going to deal with it in our lives because he loves us. And that's... that that dealing with is not going to be fun. That's why I named the message, God isn't pulling any punches. You guys know what pulling a punch means, right? So it's like a way to be like, uh, and you pull back so you don't smack them full force. God's not doing that. To the Israelites right now, he's like, bow! He's smacking them right in the kisser. Why? Because he loves them enough to be like, wake up! Get your head around what I'm saying. Understand. That's what he's doing. He's doing it because he loves them. How many people have seen movies where, you know, this person's just totally losing their mind and they're in shock? And even, I, I don't know if this is medical, but I've, I've seen this stuff on TV or on movies where someone's in shock and someone's just like, bow, and they smack them. Not to be mean, but to be like, snap out of it. Wake up. Stop. That's kind of what God's doing here. He's like getting their attention. I got two nurses over here. I'm sure they'll tell me if that's real or not later. <laughs> but God's making a point. And he wasn't doing it, you guys, just because he was throwing a temper tantrum. He had been long-suffering for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years with the people of Israel. Think about it. They had, I mean, listen, you guys, at this point of history, we have the book of Judges, and we already just read that, right? Up and down, roller coaster, back and forth. We have the book of 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, which covers the same period of history, and it was up and down, but mostly down near the end, right? Just down, decline. And so when we get to Ezekiel, we're talking like hundreds and hundreds of years of God saying, wake up, but not punishing them this way, just trying to get them to come back, to wake up. And and that's what God does with us, doesn't he? We don't get what we deserve so often. And then when we do, you guys, sometimes we're like, what's happening, God? And again, it begs the question, what have I done, Lord? How did we get here? Because you didn't catch me in pornography all these other times. You let me go. And I, I, I didn't want to do it. And so I got brave and bold and brazen. And then I got caught. And now I'm wondering like, oh man, Lord, what happened? No, you happened. If you wouldn't have been looking at it, there wouldn't have been nothing to catch. Do you get it? It's, it's the way it goes for us so often. And so here's God coming in and being like, listen, even if Noah, who's Noah? It's literally the one human being that God told, hey, build a boat because I'm killing everybody. Because the sin is so bad in this world. 
I'm wiping everybody out. And so you do your best. Bring whoever wants to come on. Who came on? His family. That was it. Eight people. That was it. Nobody even cared. They didn't believe it. Job, a man that was faithful to God in spite of extremely difficult circumstances. Daniel. Daniel was like, he is a biblical hero, but you guys understand Daniel's name being mentioned here is interesting because he's a contemporary of Ezekiel. And it speaks to us a couple of things. It speaks to the fact that people knew what Daniel was doing in Babylon to try to help the people of Israel. He was like a hero. He was like a, I'm trying to think of the word, like a, what do they call that whenever you send someone to another country to be like a liaison for your country? An ambassador. He was like an ambassador for Israel, a forced ambassador, right? He got taken there by force as well, but he's there being an ambassador. He was, he was walking in righteousness before the Lord. Yeah. It was well known. And so in some ways they were like, man, I'm glad Daniel's there. And we know about, we know about Noah. We know about Job. And, and what's God saying? He's like, man, if, if those were the three people that were in this city, I wouldn't save the city except for those three. That's how bad it is. You guys remember when Abraham, when Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's like, what if, there were, what if there were this number? And what if there's, and he gets him down to like 10, and then he's like, you know, and then, he, and then God just disappears because he's like, he's gonna whittle me down to one, right? And can you blame Abraham? But think about that. Even if there would have been five righteous people, God's like, yeah, I would rescue you. What's he saying here? He's like, I don't care if we had the fathers of the faith and the most righteous person that everybody knows right now or that they think is the most righteous right now in this day and age. If you had those three people in the in city, I still would take it all out. That's how bad it is. God was using Ezekiel to tell the people there, to tell the elders and to tell the people just how messed up and sinful they had become. It was so bad that no one in that city deserved saving. And the reality is, you guys, and I need us to understand this, you realize that you're saved by God's grace and you didn't deserve saving either. None of us do. And so God forbid we would look around at the world around us and be like, oh man, that guy's not ready. Oh man, that, that, that lady, she's too far gone. Right? No, God forbid. You weren't too far gone. I wasn't too far gone. God has died. God sent Jesus to die for everybody. There's not one person that's too far gone. And yet at the same time, guess who can make that judgment call? God. God can. God's the only one that can. And so he says, I'm going to send four judgments upon them. The sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence. You guys realize what happened there? As famine came in, they had the sword, knocked down the walls, everything's bad, all this stuff. If there's anybody in the general outlying region that somehow avoided everything that was going to happen, the wild beasts were going to come in and feast on the dead flesh. And as they get emboldened, they're going to be like, hey, we're running out of dead flesh. Let's take out the live flesh. Like, think about it. And then pestilence, of course. If you've got a bunch of dead bodies laying around, you're going to have pestilence. It's going to happen. And I want to say something. This should give us here in America a moment to pause and reflect. Shouldn't it? Because I don't know about you, but I think our country is not heading in the right direction. Spiritually, yeah. I, I, I don't think it is. And I, listen, again, I'm going to say it again like I did last week. I don't care what political affiliation you have. I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care about any of that. I think as a whole, America is heading the wrong direction spiritually. And I don't care who the president is. 
It could be. It's just as bad now as it was a couple years ago and a few years before that. And I think it's getting worse and has nothing to do with who's in the office. Does that make sense? You guys, how long is God going to be gracious and long-suffering with us? How and in what way is God asking his church to be like Ezekiel and be a beacon of light to the world around us? How is he doing that? Are we reflecting God and his truth as a church here today? Or do our lives and our Facebook accounts and the way we speak reflect more of the world around us? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves. It really is because you guys, if things are going downhill, just like they were for the people of Israel, and we only have two or three voices in the entire country that are speaking the truth of God's word, that's a problem. It was a problem for them, and guys, it would be a problem for us. And if you think a country can't fall, I have people that I know that were in Russia the day it fell. The very next day, there was no bread. Do you understand? It happened in a day. Did it really happen in a day? No. Did it feel like it happened in a day? Yes. Does that make sense? We are not immune. We're not special. If Israel was not spared, who do we think we are? And so we as a church, you guys, should be a church that's saying God's truth matters more. Matters more than my opinion. Matters more than all the stuff in this world that is happening around me. God's truth matters more. Verse 22. says, yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you and you will see their ways and their doings. Then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I have brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings. And you shall know that I have done nothing without cause, that I have done it, or uh, that I have done in it, says the Lord God, that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it. In other words, you guys, well, let's dig through this. So God wasn't pulling any punches with his assessment of the sinfulness of the nation. But here at the very end of this chapter, he's giving them a moment, a ray of hope. He's saying like, I'm going to still preserve a remnant. Why would he do that, you guys? Can we think about it? Remember he made a covenant with Abraham years and years and years before this. Do you guys remember that? How did that covenant go? Did Abraham take part in the covenant? No. He put Abraham to sleep. He divided the things like he was supposed to the sacrifice he walked through on his own. What does that mean? What is that telling you? He's saying, I'm making a covenant with you in spite of you. I know you're not going to keep it. I am going to keep it. And so he didn't put Abraham at a disadvantage and say, I'm going to cause you to lie. No, he wouldn't do that. So he said, I'm going to put you to sleep so that you can't walk through this with me. I'm going to walk through it for both of us. I want to say that because here's the thing, you guys. Here he is, and that's the only reason, is because God is faithful. Period, end of sentence. He sent his son to die for us because he is faithful, not because we are. We're not a catch to God. Do you get what I'm saying? He's not up there being like, whoa, can't wait for old Steve-O to come because, man, he's awesome. 
He's so much better. That's not how he felt about Billy Graham either, right? He wasn't like, oh, man, Billy, I can't, man, stop drinking, Billy. You need to come to me, man. You're going to be a powerhouse. That's not the way God thinks. God's like, man, none of you earned this. I paid for it anyway. You guys, that's what he's saying here. Because here's the deal. God is the only being. God is the only thing that can simultaneously be completely just and completely gracious. Do you understand that? Our justice system does their best to be just. Are they always gracious? Nope. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're too gracious. Sometimes they're too just, right? Why? How do we know that there's variations and shades? Because we in our humanity realize like, man, those scales kind of tip back and forth. And we see sometimes like, man, if, if someone's got the, that's guilty, that has the scales and got the money, they can tip the scales in their favor. That's not just, Right? And so there's all this stuff that we look at in humanity, but God in heaven is the only one that can say, I am absolutely just so that everything I do is perfectly just. And yet I'm also at the exact same moment in history and the exact same moment of time, perfectly gracious and merciful. And so here he is wiping the slate clean and saying, you will hear me. You will come to attention but I'm still gonna save a remnant. Is this remnant righteous? No, no, they're not. He just got done earlier, keep the context. He just said earlier, like, listen, if there were three men in this city, I would wipe the entire city out and only save those three. So he's saying, this is a not following me people. This, this people that are coming out of this place are not following me. They've got idolatry in their heart. But what he's saying to the elders, what he's saying through Ezekiel to the people is that when they show up after they've been exiled, this remnant that I'm saving out, you're going to look at their behavior and you're going to say, holy cow, that's bad. Like, are you for real? Like, you think that's okay? You think burning your babies on Moloch is like, Okay. You think this is acceptable? This isn't acceptable. And even though these elders have bad hearts, they're not as bad as these other guys. And that's what God's saying is like, when they come and you see just how bad they are, you're gonna realize everything I did, I did because I had to. That's what he's getting at. He's not saying you're gonna be comforted like, oh, good, I'm glad there were some righteous people to warm my heart. No, he's saying like, you're gonna look and be like, whoa, this needed to happen. You understand? You guys ever like discipline your children? I, we've disciplined our kids and, and I remember like I was like kind of thinking in my head like, man, it's, maybe that's a little harsh. Maybe I shouldn't ground them for so long or maybe this or maybe that. And then you go in and you go to talk to them to try to like maybe lean, give their a little bit more leniency or to be a little bit more gracious to them. And like my son would be like, oh, no, 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 like get crazy. And I'm like, oh, no, no, you got exactly. We're good. <laughs> Never mind. And I would tell him, I'm like, man, I was coming here to lay, lay off of you, but that's okay. You just proved to me that apparently I was right, right? Do you get my point? I feel like that's what God's saying to the people. Like whenever you see these people come, you're gonna realize, whoa, God's right. God did this for a good reason. It wasn't just because. That's what he's getting at here. You guys, when we, and as we come to the end of things, do you understand that for those of us that know the Lord, then we go to heaven. We're not going to be up there being like, oh God, no, I can't believe you did it that way. That's too harsh. That's too much. No, we're going to be like, God, you're just. And God, you've been merciful for thousands and thousands of years. 
If this country doesn't repent and turn and it falls, you guys, I personally think I'm gonna be in the camp that says like, yeah, we deserved it. God, you were gracious with us for this long and we're pretty young as a nation in comparison to a lot of nations. And yet I think we're going downhill faster. We direct traffic for the entire world, not the other way around. I, I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. And I've been around a lot of the world. And so many times people know, listen, you guys, I was in Japan giving money to a bum. And do you guys remember the Budweiser commercial? It was like, what up? You remember that? Yeah. What's up? This guy was like, this Japanese guy was like, what's up? And I was just like, you, what? You don't even have a TV, dude. How'd you know that? We influence culture everywhere. That's to our shame. I had a brother in Turkey. Not Well, I shouldn't say a brother. A friend of mine, but he was a Muslim. But he, he said to me, he's like, Michael Jackson's a Christian. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't. But if you're basing it on his actions, I would say maybe no. You know? Like, I'm not trying to judge Michael Jackson, but I'm just like, that's what people think. We're a Christian nation, therefore we are all this way. And that's what Christianity looks like. Can you understand why people look at Christians in other countries from America and they're like, y'all aren't the same as other Christians. And that's to our shame. And so you guys, I just want to say today, listen, God is going to preserve a remnant. And in this case, that remnant wasn't righteous. He just did it because he loved them. But can I say this? I want us to be a remnant that is righteous. Not because we're righteous, but because God is living in us and he is righteous. I want us to be a people that says, man, God, you love your creation. You love your creation so much that you showed us in the most visceral way. You sent your son to die for us. You love your creation. And I want to tell people about it. And you guys, I want us to be a church that learns and gleans from God and doesn't come to God expecting him to give us answers to things when we're not willing to hear what he has to say. Because that's what the world does with God. They get into a pinch. They don't even say, listen, I've had people send prayer requests and says, I don't even believe in God, but can you pray for me? Who am I praying to, in your opinion? Right? Like, do you get what I'm getting at? Like, people think all kinds of weird things. We in the church need to not be that way. We need to go to God and be like, God, teach me. God, show me. God, like David said, show me if there be any wicked way in my heart because I know there is. I know there is. We should come to him with an expectation of an answer, but we need to be ready to hear it. He's not going to answer our question if we're coming to him with the idea that we're going to get out of him what we want to hear. Finally, I want to say this. God will correct his children. Why? Because there's no doubt of his love. He loves us so much that he's going to discipline us if we need it. And just like a good dad, he doesn't start off with the paddle. Do you understand? That's not where he starts. He gives us chance after chance after chance. And the Holy Spirit puts in our hearts when we do something or when we say something. I know I'm not alone here. There have been so many times that I've said something and as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, oh Lord, forgive me. That wasn't right. Because my heart's like, mm, nope, that's not right. You shouldn't have said that. Right? And then God's so gracious that you grow and you learn so that hopefully, and most of the time now, I get that sense before the word even comes out of my mouth and then it's my choice. So then I've got to for ask for forgiveness twice because I'm like, Lord, you told me not to say it and then I said it. Ah, <laughs> forgive me. But do you get my point? We get to do it that way and not just keep doing the same thing over and over and being persistent to where he gets to a point where he's like, okay, 
Here comes the switch. Here comes the paddle. I'm going to get you because I love you. You guys, if we're living in the freedom that he brings in the Holy Spirit, we don't have to worry about the smackdown. And I'm using these words, but you guys understand that even in that, he's gracious. Do you understand that? I'm using words that I know some, maybe some younger generation or people that might listen later might be like, we don't spank, we don't do that. Okay, I get it. But can we get the idea behind it? The idea that God loves us enough that he's going to give us a pow-pow if we need one. And even in that, he loves us. So let's keep our eyes on him. Let's remember, you guys, that he loves us more than anyone else on this earth could ever love us. He loves us more than any, more than your mom, more than your relatives, more than your spouse, more than anybody could ever love us. He loves us more. So why wouldn't we keep a soft heart? Why wouldn't we repent whenever the Holy Spirit says, hey, you messed up, you missed the mark, you sinned? Why wouldn't we say, you're right, I'm sorry, and move on from that? Let's keep striving to live a life of obedience to him because here's the deal, you guys. He's doing that sanctifying work in our hearts every day, isn't he? He's working out of us those things that he doesn't want in there. He's working all that out of us, you guys. And as we continue to be obedient and walk with him, God shows up and does some miraculous, amazing things. And here's the point of all that. Not to just make you shiny and new. He's working all things together for good. So guess what? The more you look like Jesus, the more that shines out of your life, your words, and your actions to other people around you, which is the whole point. It's what Jesus said, go out into the world, tell people about me, and live a life that shines me through you. How do we do that? By being obedient, by listening, by trusting that the Holy Spirit knows better than we do, that God actually has our best in mind. Amen? Let's pray. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.